What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Milari. So the other night was Game 7 of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. Tough game for the Celtics. They ended up losing that game 103-84. to I recorded a preview right before it. And before it, I thought the Celtics were going to win that game. I saw all the momentum flip, and I said, I think Miami's, even though they're saying they're still confident in the locker room and everybody's up and their mentality is still strong, which I'm sure they were, I still thought at the same time there had to be some brokenness in them losing three straight games. And boy, was I wrong. Was I wrong. Miami came out of the gates. They surprised me with their energy. They went on a 26-6 run over the last six minutes of the first quarter and the first two minutes of the second quarter, leading Boston 27-15 at that point. And the Celtics were trailing just about the entire game and were just throwing up threes and missing. Brick after brick after brick after brick. Just kept shooting threes. And... Obviously, things didn't go their way right away. Jason Tatum rolled his ankle in the first minute. That obviously was a tough hit for the Celts. And I know an ankle injury is tough to play through. Very painful, especially if it's a high ankle sprain. And we don't really know the degree of that ankle injury for Jason Tatum, but we just, we just saw you know the replay. You could tell he tweaked his ankle. But everyone's giving Jason Tatum a Game 7 pass for his poor performance for the Game 7 and then also the entire series. Because of the ankle injury, he's getting a Game 7 pass. What about how poor he played and shot from the floor all series? Everybody's giving him a pass for Game 7. And everybody's just blaming Jalen Brown. Jason Tatum is just as equally at fault as Jalen Brown for the reason the Celtics lost in seven games. Both of them could have played better. You're down 3-0, you're both at fault. You're both at fault for why the Celtics is down 3-0. So I don't give Jason Tatum a pass. Everybody's just blaming Jalen Brown. What about Jason Tatum? What about Jason Tatum? He's not the superstar that every single Celtics fan thinks he is. And I've been saying for a while now, I listened to one of my old podcast episodes when I was live on the FM radio for the Playbook of Joey and Zach in December 2021. And I made a point. This was before the Celtics went to the NBA Finals versus the Golden State Warriors. And this was also before the Celtics went to the Eastern Conference Finals this year. This was December of 2021 when the Celtics started out that season struggling. Then they flipped a switch in January, February and ended up going to the NBA Finals. But I said... On the air, live on the FM radio. I was listening to the recording the other day. And I said, you're never going to win an NBA Finals with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Now, if you listen to Boston Sports Radio, that's, that's what everybody's saying. Everybody's saying you're never going to win with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You're never going to win with them. And the reason why you're not going to win with them, to most Boston fans in their eyes, is Jalen Brown. But I think at the same time, Jason Tatum is just as accountable. Should be held just as accountable. If you look at it in the NBA Finals last year, they both came up short. They both led the NBA playoffs last year in turnovers. Who leads the NBA playoffs in turnovers this year? Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown first, Jason Tatum second. Last year it was reversed. Jason Tatum first, Jalen Brown second. They both should be held accountable. And I know a lot of Celtics fans love to talk about Jason Tatum, and he's a superstar, and he's humbly one of the best players in the world. I don't see the superstar in Jason Tatum. Very good player. I don't think he's a top five player in the NBA, top seven or eight player in the NBA. To be a superstar, there's only about seven or eight, maybe 10, if you want to stretch the definition of it, but I'd say seven or eight in the NBA. Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, Damian Lillard. There's not that many superstars in the NBA. I'll throw Kawhi Leonard in there. I'll throw Paul George in there as well. And that might be a little bit of a bias there, but I do think at the end of the day, though, PG is right there. I consider more of a superstar than Jason Tatum. So you got Giannis, Steph, 
Durant, Jokic, LeBron James, Joel Embiid, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. Jimmy Butler's in there too. I'm going to throw Jimmy Butler in there as well. And Damian Lillard. Those are my superstars in the NBA. There's a lot of great players that is right behind the superstar. A ton. A ton. John Morant, not a superstar yet. Right below. Luka, I don't even consider a superstar because I don't think you're ever going to win an NBA Finals with Luka Doncic. That might be a hard take to most people. I've never been the biggest fan of Luka. Very good player. I think he's right below that tier, though. He'll be in the MVP conversation every single year because of the stats he puts up. But if you look at it, I don't think he's going to win the NBA Finals. So there's my superstars in the NBA. There's only about 8 to 10 of them. And I consider Jason Tatum being outside of that top 10. I named probably about 9 to 10 guys. I think Jason Tatum's around 12 to 15. Where's Jalen Brown in there? He's an all-NBA player this year. He's probably somewhere in that top 20 range, top 22 range. Probably around 18 to 20. Most people have him. Even though he didn't play like that in Game 7 or in this series, neither did Jason Tatum. He never great series either. He never great playoffs. Tatum and Brown, neither one really had a great playoffs. If they both played great, you wouldn't be going to six games in a series with the Atlanta Hawks, seven games in a series with the Philadelphia 76ers, and then seven games with the Miami Heat. If both of them were on and had great playoff performances this year, you wouldn't be going to six, seven, and seven in those three series. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. So I know the ankle injury is obviously tough, and I'm not going to blame him really for game seven, how he performed, even though he did have the ankle injury, as I said, and either he wanted to play better. I don't blame for game seven. But where's the blame for the rest of the series? He didn't play great at all this series. Had a couple spurts here and there, but definitely wasn't as good as what you needed to be. If he's a superstar and if he's humbly one of the best players in the world, you need him to be better than that. And same thing with Jalen Brown. You need them both to be better. Tatum and Brown combined for a 2 of 13 performance from 3 in Game 7. 2 of 13 from 3. 2 of 13 from 3 they were combined in Game 7. The Celtics were great from 3 overall as a team, though. I mean, they were 9 of 42 from 3 as a team for a 21% three-point percentage. Which contributed to their lowest scoring game of the season for the Celtics, scoring just 84 points. And yet another season low in three-point percentage. In Game 6 and Game 7, both of their season lows in three-point percentage. The Celtics were 16 of 77 as a team from three in their last two games. 21% from three in their last two games. You look at Miami, 28 of 58 for 48% three-point percentage. So there's the difference. A 48% three-point percentage versus a 21% three-point percentage. That's a huge difference right there. Huge difference. Huge difference. And with Tatum's ankle injury, this was Jalen's game to step up. This was his game to step up and carry the Celtics and show, show everyone what he's made of. Obviously, he came up short. But as I said, I think Tatum deserves blame, too, for how poor he, poor he was this series. Brown did not have a great game seven. 19 points, 8 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal, 2 blocks, 1 of 9 shooting from 3, and 8 of 23 from the floor with 8 turnovers. The worst part of that stat is the 8 turnovers. Obviously, 8 of 23 is a great from 4, and 1 of 9 from 3 is poor. But his 8 turnovers was just, that was ridiculous. Those eight turnovers made him the fifth player in NBA history in the playoffs with eight turnovers in a Game 7. Just five players ever now have had eight turnovers in a Game 7, with Jalen Brown being one of those five. LeBron James did it in 2018. The Cavs won that game, though, against the Celtics. So Tatum on the injured ankle, 5 of 13 shooting from the floor, 1 of 4 from 3, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, and 14 points. So no, none of that stat line is really that great. I mean, 11 rebounds is pretty impressive, regardless whether he has a bum ankle or not. 
14 points isn't great. 5 and 13 shooting isn't great. 1 of 4 from 3 isn't great. You need more from Tatum. You need more from him. Obviously, as I said, the ankle injury definitely played a role. And obviously, you're not going to be 100% with an ankle injury. He's not going to give you 35, 40 points. But you probably expect a little bit more than 14 points. And as I said with Gabe Vincent, with a bum ankle in Game 5 and he comes back in Game 6 and 7, you didn't know what you'd get out of him. I said he's going to shoot more threes because he's not going to be able to drive. Same thing with Jason Tatum. He should have been able to shoot better from three with that anchorage. Yes, I know you can't drive full speed down the lane, but if you're standing still and you got a kickout pass and you can shoot a three, you know, off the catch, it shouldn't bother you as much. It's not like you drive it down the lane and have to go up and jump and try to dunk, which Tatum missed a couple layups after that ankle injury. He usually dunks some of those balls, but with the ankle injury, probably didn't want to go up and try to land on it and missed a couple layups, not trying to jump up and dunk. So I think if you look at it, Tatum is just as much to blame as Jalen Brown. Yes, Jalen Brown struggled in Game 7. This was his game to step up and have a big game. I understand he struggled and did poor. But the Celtics aren't in this situation going to a Game 7 against the Sixes, against the Heat, and aren't going in six games uh, deep in a series against the Atlanta Hawks without the poor performances in the playoffs from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Not everything was poor. They had some good games in there. I'm not saying everything was poor. Obviously, Jason Tatum had the most points ever in a Game 7 in NBA history versus Sixes. I'm not saying everything was poor in there. But overall, if you look at their playoff performances in those 20 games combined, 7, 7, and 6, so 20 games they played in the playoffs, there's a lot more bad in my eyes than good. Considering you have to go 7 games with the Sixes, 6 games with the Hawks, and you're down 3-0 to the Miami Heat, a team that didn't even have their second-best option on offense in Tyler Hero. I mean, that's, 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 that's on Tatum and Brown. That's on Tatum and Brown. And I know a lot of people love to blame Joe Missoula, but Missoula's not to blame in my eyes. He's not to blame. Yes, Missoula's inexperienced. Yes, he came in, obviously, off the bench and had to coach the team after being just a lower assistant over the last three seasons. That was obviously an unexpected situation, nothing you can really prepare for. With Emi Odoka getting suspended before the season began, and Missoula steps in as the interim head coach, and they remove the interim head tag midseason, and now he's fully the Celtics head coach for the future, it seems like, especially after Brad Stevens' press conference today. End of season press conference, he mentioned Joe Missoula is their guy. But I don't think Missoula is to blame. He's not out there turning the ball over and breaking shots like Jason Tatum and Jamal Brown did all series. Tatum and Brown were first and second in the NBA playoffs. Last year in turnovers and a first and second in the NBA playoffs this year in turnovers yet again. Just like last year. 66 turnovers for Jalen Brown, 56 for Jason Tatum. Yes, that probably has to do with them playing more games than some other teams. But still, regardless, I mean, 66 turnovers and 56 turnovers, there's no excuses. Then if you look at it, they were combined 18 of 90 from three in this series. 18 of 90 from three Tatum and Brown were in this series. Atrocious and inexcusable. Tatum and Brown had just 18 threes in this series against the Miami Heat in seven games. Caleb Martin had 22 threes on his own. 22 threes on his own. On his own. And one stat that no one's going to mention, because everybody's just blaming Jalen Brown, I think it's just a quick reaction after the game. I think your instant reaction is, oh, Jalen Brown's the issue. That's what your instant reaction is to the game, because Jalen Brown had a poor game seven. But where was everybody in February, March, April, May, even, beginning of May, middle of May, when everyone was still with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and they were still with the Celtics winning the NBA Finals? Everyone said the Celtics have the brightest future in the NBA 
Last offseason when the Celtics didn't want to trade to Kevin Durant, don't trade for Kevin Durant. We have Jalen Brown. All season this year, even through a couple of struggles, even, the Celtics, even though Celtics were hot for most of the season, they did have one or two rough stretches in there towards the end when I think they were waiting for the playoffs. Everyone stayed with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being the future and the best young duo in the NBA. But after just one game in Game 7, everybody flips ship and everybody jumps off the ship and now they're on the just Tatum's the answer and Jalen Brown's going to go. But one stat no one's going to talk about is that Jason Tatum had more turnovers in this Heat series than Jalen Brown did. 26 turnovers to Tatum in this seven-game series versus Miami. 25 turnovers in this seven-game series for Jalen Brown. 26 turnovers for Tatum, 25 for Brown. One more turnover Tatum had. And if Jalen Brown doesn't have eight turnovers in Game 7, that stat could have looked a lot more lopsided. It could have been 26 to 20, let's say, if Jalen only had three turnovers in Game 7 rather than eight. Tatum had a 14.7% turnover percentage in this series against the Heat. Jalen Brown had a 14.9% turnover percentage in this series against the Heat. And turnover percentage accounts for turnovers per 100 possessions. So Tatum and Brown weren't far off. 14.7% for Tatum, 14.9% for Jalen Brown. And obviously Jalen Brown, as I said, struggled this series. Wasn't a great series for him. Wasn't a great series for Tatum. Brown, 41.8% shooting from the floor, 16.3% from three, 67% from the free throw line, 19 points per game and six rebounds per game. Then you look at Tatum's stats over the series. 47% shooting from the floor, 23% from three, 25.3 points per game, and 10.3 rebounds per game. You need more from your superstar, top five player, MVP candidate, Jason Tatum. And once again, as I said, I don't see Jason Tatum as a top five player in the NBA. I don't see him as top 10. I think he's right outside of that. Maybe 12. But regardless, you still need more from the 12th best player in the NBA if he's your best player on this team, and what most Celtics fans see him as, you need more than 23% shooting from three and 25 points per game. And one thing that I've always been on Jason Tatum about and Jalen Brown is that they defer to Marcus Smart in big moments. I know a lot of people come at Marcus Smart saying he wants to be the alpha and he always takes the big shots. Part of the reason he takes the big shots is because he's getting the ball with three seconds after the shot clock because Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are kicking it out to him. Or one of them just standing in the corner waiting for someone to take a big shot because they just, they just don't want to take it. That happened a ton last year in the NBA Finals. Happened even this year in the playoffs. Because I feel what every 76 is. Where in big moments, Tatum and Brown deferred to Marcus Smart. And I don't think Marcus Smart wants to be the alpha as much as people say he wants to be. I don't think he wants to be. It's just the story of the situation is he gets the ball with two or three seconds left on the shot clock. And Tatum and Brown don't want to shoot the big shot. And so, obviously, at that point, you have to just throw up a shot just to get a shot off. And if Smart misses, all the blame goes on him. If he makes it, all the credit goes to him at the same time. If all the blame goes to Smart, some of the blame should go to Tatum and Brown for deferring to Marcus Smart and not stepping up in big moments. Because that's happened a good amount in the NBA playoffs last year, this year, and even in some moments in the regular season. Tatum had just 13 fourth quarter points in the Celtics' four Eastern Conference Finals losses to the Miami Heat. So in their four losses to Miami, games one, two, three, and seven, Tatum had just 13 fourth quarter points and was 0-5 from three in those fourth quarters. That's inexcusable. I know most of those games were blowouts and were out of reach. Three of those four games were out of reach for the most part. I mean, two of the four games, I guess, the Celtics still had a shot in. 
in the fourth quarter. The Celts lost game one by seven points and lost game two by six points, both those games being at home. So only really two of those four games was the fourth quarter a big deal for the Celtics since they lost game three by 26 and lost game four by 19. But still, regardless, Tatum only had 13 fourth quarter points in those four Eastern Conference Finals losses and 0-5 from three. And in multiple of those games, Tatum was very cold to start the game, as he was in some of those Philadelphia 76ers games as well, where he started off very cold and was brutal in the first half and woke up to some degree in the second half. There was even a game in this series, I believe it was game five, if I remember right, or even game six, where Tatum didn't have a second half field goal until the fourth quarter. If I remember right, it was game six. It was game six. That's inexcusable. Inexcusable. And Brad Stevens made a very good point today in his end-of-season press conference. He said if we're over 500 at home in the playoffs, we would have had rest and would be, be in the finals. Yeah, I mean, to some degree, you're probably right. Playing six games, seven games, and seven games, 20 games over three series, it gives you more of a chance to get hurt. The more games you play, the more chances there are for you to get hurt or something get in your way, whether it's an injury, whether it's a team just has a couple big shots against you. If you delay a series and it goes seven games, like let's say if the Philadelphia 76 had a big game seven, the more chances you give the other team, less chances there are for you to win. And the more games you play, the more likely you are to get hurt or for some obstacle to get in your way. And that obviously is what happened with Jason Tatum getting hurt and rolling his ankle in that game seven game against Miami in the first minute. I mean, that's not something you can prepare for. You can't prepare for that. That's not something you can look at and, and expect. But at the end of the day, you shouldn't go seven games as Miami team. You shouldn't be down 3-0. You shouldn't be down 3-0. Now the Celtics are the 151st team in NBA history to go down 3-0 and not win the series. Obviously, the Celtics made it a fight. Became just the fourth team to force a game seven. Regardless, still lose at the end of the day. And you shouldn't be down 3-0. And some people don't, want to, don't even mention this, but the Celtics shouldn't even have gotten to a game seven. They should have lost game six. It took a lucky shot and a lucky bounce off the rim with three-tenths of a second left on the clock for Derek White to force a Game 7. You shouldn't even get to that point. You shouldn't get there. And rest is a big part of the playoffs. If you look at Denver, they beat Minnesota in five games. Phoenix in six games, like I predicted. I thought they'd beat Phoenix in six. And then they beat the Lakers in four games. So just 15 games for Denver in the playoffs. The Celtics played 20. Rest matters a ton for health in the playoffs and preparation and game planning. And the Celtics obviously playing in longer series. Everything was bound to catch up to them. Everything was bound to catch up to this Celtics team. So I'm going to switch gears slightly and talk about the Miami Heat. Since most of this beginning of this podcast episode was all about the Celtics, now I'm going to switch over and talk about the Miami Heat. If you look at this Miami Heat team, they do not win this series without Caleb Martin. So the question after the NBA Eastern Conference Finals was, who deserved to win Eastern Conference Finals MVP? Caleb Martin or Jimmy Butler? And I think if you look at it, I'd go with Caleb Martin. The Heat do not win this series without Caleb Martin. Jimmy had a great series. 24.7 points per game, 7.6 rebounds per game, 6 assists, 2.6 steals off 42% shooting from the floor and 34% from 3. Had a very big game, 7. 28 points off 3 of 7 shooting from 3. 12 of 28 from the floor, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, and 3 steals. Very big game for Jimmy in game 7. Obviously not his best shooting night, 12 of 28 from the floor. And obviously did go a little bit dull in games 5 and game 6. And his stat line wasn't really too powerful in those games. What you know, a little bit off the ropes 
from what he typically does in the NBA playoffs, in those games, in game five, and then in game six. But I think if you look at it, though, he did fade in two of those three heat losses when Martin was on. Caleb Martin was on in those games. And in the game that mattered most, game seven, he came up huge. 26 points off 11 of 16 shooting from the floor, 4 of 6 from 3, 10 rebounds, 3 assists, and a steal. Caleb Martin gave the Heat everything he had. And if you look at his stats from the whole Eastern Conference Finals, 19.3 points per game off 74% total shooting percentage, 49% from 3, 60% from the floor, and 6.4 rebounds per game. I think he was very deserving of the MVP award in the Eastern Conference Finals. He was 9 of 9 in the Eastern Conference Finals from mid-range jump shots. That's very impressive. And was shooting 49% from three. 49% from three. And was 4-6 from three in game seven. Had some big shots and some big moments. I think he deserved to be the MVP of the series. And even though Jimmy played great, don't get me wrong, I would go with Martin. It was a very close vote. I think Jimmy Butler only won by a vote or two in the vote by the media members. But at the end of the day, Martin might not have won the MVP according to those voters. But I'm sure a lot of Heat fans know, and I'm sure even players on the Heat know as well, they could not have done that without Caleb Martin. Could not have done that. His story is great. Story is great. Undrafted out of Nevada, was waived by the Charlotte Hornets about a year or two ago now, when J. Cole reached out to the Miami Heat and said, give this kid a chance. Told them to sign Caleb Martin, they did it, and the rest is history. And now has led them with Jimmy Butler, alongside Bam Adebayo, to a finals appearance. So very impressive there for Caleb Martin and also Jimmy Butler. But I think the Heat overall, they all deserve credit. They're an underdog team that plays hard and play, they all play with a chip on their shoulder. A lot of those guys were counted out. Max Struess was cut by the Celtics a few years ago and then played a role in eliminating the Celtics in Game 7. And, and it's not just Max Struess, not just Caleb Martin. Those are two undrafted guys there. The Heat have five undrafted players in their eight-man rotation that played in that Game 7. Max Struess... Highsmith, Vincent, Martin, Duncan Robinson. All of those guys were undrafted. And they all came up big in different moments. Robinson had 22 points in Game 3. Vincent had 29 points in that game as well. Caleb Martin had 25 points in Game 1. Max Struess had 15 points in that game as well. And then you also look at Caleb Martin averaging 19 points per game overall in that series. Very impressive. And you look at the shooting percentage. I mean, Miami was shooting great from 3. And a lot of that is... Credited to how great Duggan Robinson was off the bench. Gabe Vincent was. How great Max Struess was at times. I mean, credit to that Miami Heat team. An underdog team that found ways to win in the playoffs. And obviously a lot of that credit should go to Eric Spolster as well. He continues to add to his legacy. He's led Miami to the playoffs in 12 of the last 15 seasons. And now has led them to their sixth finals appearance in 13 years. Six finals appearances in 13 years. And if you look at this Miami team, they messed around in the ton, a ton of the regular season, but they've put it all together now. They had a negative point differential in the regular season and were dead last in the NBA in points. And in that second play-in game, after losing the first play-in game to the Atlanta Hawks, they were losing in that second play-in game with three minutes to go. Found a way to win that game and now have beat the top two seeds in the East along with the New York Knicks. They beat... The Bucks, then the Knicks, then the Celts, and are now back in the NBA Finals. And they're back in the NBA Finals. So credit to them. Credit to Miami. And they found ways to surprise everyone 
each and every round up to this point. But I do think their luck runs out against Denver. You can't ever count this team out completely. They play very hard, and they obviously give it their all every single night, night in, night out, on every possession. But I think Denver's too good. I think if you look at these play-in games, and if you look at these three series for Miami, they found ways to win, and they never really broke. They never quit. Two play-in games, they beat the Bucks in five games, beat the Knicks in six games, beat Boston in seven games. They found ways to win. Just like they did in the NBA Finals in their run in the bubble in 2020. They found ways to win in that playoff run, just like they did in this one. This is their second Finals appearance in four years. But I do think their luck runs out here against Denver. One thing that would help them a lot is if Tyler Hero does come back. He hopes to return by Game 3 with that hand injury. Would be a big add for that Miami team, especially scoring-wise. If you can have Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, and Kayla Martin as your three primary scoring options with Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, and Bam Adebayo helping out along the way, that'd be huge. That'd be huge. So we'll see what happens. As for the Celtics, I'm just going to switch gears really quick yet again. What does the future hold for Jalen Brown? I think Jalen Brown's not happy in Boston. I know a lot of people love to show clips of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown dapping up in the locker room and saying, you know, everyone loves to say these guys don't like each other, but they're best friends and they're dapping up. Look at how much, you know, how much how good of buddies they are. I think that's all just for the for the videos and the camera. I don't think everything is as bright between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown is not happy in Boston, and I think he wants out. How happy can you be, though? How happy can you be when you're an all-NBA player and you gave it your all the entire season, even though you struggled, obviously, in Game 7 in the playoffs, but just after a bad Game 7, everybody flips the switch and they want you gone. And this is nothing new to Jalen Brown. This is not a new story for him. He gets it. He already knows. The Celtics have tried to trade him in multiple big trades over the last four or five years. Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, now even Damian Lillard. He was involved in every single one of those big trade talks. Every single one of them. Primary reason is because he was a very young player and was playing great basketball at a very young age and everybody saw the potential that he could, that he could have and obviously has now. And that's the reason he was involved in a lot of those trade talks. But how happy can you be coming back to Boston year in and year out when every single time you leave that locker room in the last game of the season, the trade talks begin? And in the entire offseason, you're involved in trade talks. Whether it was Kevin Durant last offseason when the Brooklyn Nets were shopping him in the summer when he declared a trade or requested a trade, I should say, or even the Kawhi Leonard days, Paul George, Jimmy Butler. I mean, that, that's a good amount right there I just named. I know a lot of people heading into two seasons ago now wanted the Celtics to trade for Bradley Beal. So not this season, but last season. Before last season, they wanted the Celtics to trade for Bradley Beal. And what everybody want to give up in that trade? You have to give up Jalen Brown. And everyone was okay with doing that. So I think everybody's giving up on Jalen Brown too quick. And if it was my option, I would keep Jalen Brown. I wouldn't trade him. I would keep Jalen Brown on this team. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you'd get back in return, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, if you can get a good young player back in return, depends on the package, obviously. Or if you get a Damon Lillard and you end up winning the NBA Finals, it might be worth it. But I think Jalen Brown might give you a better chance in the long-term future to win an NBA Finals than just a one-year, two-year guy that you're trading for when he's 34, 35 years old. I mean, Damian Lillard's 33. And I think if you look at it, I think I wouldn't give up on Jalen Brown. I would keep Jalen Brown. 
But I think Jalen Brown, I think he's done with Boston. I think he's going to pot ways. That's a hot take to most people probably right now. I think everybody wants him traded of Celtics fans. But nobody probably expects him to request a trade since he could get potentially a $295 million Supermax extension, which is a heavy payday, obviously, for a guy like Jamie Brown, especially after a tough Game 7 there. He is eligible, though, for a Supermax extension, which would be $290 million over five seasons, making $50 million, $54 million, $58 million, $62 million, and $66 million across the 2024-2025 season through the 2028-2029 season. He's eligible for that. And from the press conference today with Brad Stevens, he said he loves his young core and he wants to keep everybody together, it seems like. Then you'd assume Jalen Brown's back. But in my eyes, I think even if Brad Stevens wants Jalen Brown back, even if I want Jalen Brown back, even if every Celtics fan wants Jalen Brown traded, I think Jalen Brown is unhappy right now in Boston. I think he wants out. That is a hot take probably to most, but he was asked after Game 7, about his future in Boston, he said, I'm going to cross that bridge when we get there. So I think he knows, with only one year left, guaranteed of that deal left, who knows what the future holds for Jalen Brown in Boston. And as I said, did Jalen Brown play well in the playoffs? No. But did Jason Tatum play well in the playoffs? No. I mean, neither guy played great in this series against the Heat. But no one really showed up for the Celtics offensively in this series against the Heat. Besides Derek White had some big games and some big moments and shot well from three. Not really great from three, though, in Game 7. He was 2 of 9 from three in Game 7. The Celtics struggled overall. And obviously, yes, you're two superstars in most people's eyes. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum should be blamed. Because when you lose a series in seven games to Miami when you're down 3-0, Tatum and Brown, your two best players, should get the blame. Even though I don't see either one as a superstar like most, most people probably don't see Jalen Brown as a superstar now after you know that Game 7, but... Heading into this season, even you know, heading into the playoffs, everybody was still very high on Jalen Brown. I think everybody's cutting the cord too quick and and giving up on him too fast. But I think he's given up on Boston. I think he'll be gone regardless. Whether Celtics fans want him gone or not, I think he's going to request a trade. That's just my feel of things right now. Even though he can make $290 million and the Celtics can give him the most money that any team could give him right now, I think he wants his own team. I think he wants his own team. I don't think he wants to be under the shadow of Jason Tatum anymore. And I don't think he wants to be in trade talks 24-7 anymore either. If he gets his own team and a team trades for him, that'll be probably his home, ideally for a four, or five, six-year window for him, and then maybe for the rest of his career too. Who knows? So now I'm going to switch gears and talk about the Denver Nuggets. Credit to Denver, this is their first finals appearance ever, and I think this team deserves to win the NBA finals considering how deep they are. They're the deepest team in the NBA. Deepest team in the NBA. They have six guys... And double-digit scoring in the NBA playoffs. With four of those six guys capable of giving you 15 points any given night. Three of those six guys giving you 20 any given night. And two of those six guys, being Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, capable of giving you 30 or 40 points any given game. Any given game, those guys can give you 30 or 40 points. And look at what their stats are in the NBA playoffs this year. I mean, they've just been dominant. 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 This Nuggets team. And in my NBA playoffs predictions, I had the Clippers beating them, I believe, in seven games because everybody knows I'm a big Clippers fan. I'm never going to really pick against the Clippers. So even though I knew Denver would be a tough out, if I didn't pick the Clippers to win that series and the Clippers didn't have to play them, I probably would have had Denver winning the West. 
if this Clippers did not have to play Denver, let's say, if they were to beat the Phoenix Suns and didn't have to face Denver in that point, at that point, I probably had Denver facing the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. If the Clippers weren't in the playoffs, let's say, and they missed it like they did last year, you know, losing out in the play-in in 2022, I probably had Denver winning the West. I mean, this team is just so deep. So deep. Even though I believe in them in, in, in some points of the season, watching them play and see how they dominate against the Clippers in the regular season and then saw how they dominated in the playoffs in the first round, the second round, the third round, I mean, this team is ready to win the NBA Finals now. And credit to them, credit to Nicole Jokic. This team has gone through it. Obviously, this is their first NBA Finals appearance. They've had a good team now for the last four or five seasons and really haven't been able to get anything out of it. But now they have. And they've found a gem, obviously, in Nikola Jokic, who's gotten a lot of credit over the last four or five years now. He's a two-time MVP, averaging 30 points per game in the playoffs this year with 13.3 rebounds, 10.3 assists, averaging a triple-double alongside 1.1 steals per game and 0.9 blocks per game, shooting 53.8% from the floor and 47% from three. He's taking more three-pointers in the playoffs, which might help him spread the floor and obviously open up the offense a little more in the paint. And another guy that helps spread the floor for the Denver Nuggets is Jamal Murray. And he's been on a tear over the last couple of seasons since coming back from that ACL injury. 27.7 points per game in the playoffs this year, averaging 5.5 rebounds, 6.1 assists, 1.7 steals alongside 40% shooting from three and 48% shooting from the floor. Very good player, electric star alongside Nikola Jokic. I think he's going to come a big in the NBA Finals. I think he could be right there for the NBA Finals MVP. I think Jokic is going to get it, considering Jimmy Butler still won the Eastern Conference Finals MVP, even though Caleb Martin, in my eyes, deserved it more. Typically, the best player on the team, whether they perform the best or not in that series, they typically get that MVP trophy. Just like Tom Brady won the Super Bowl MVP after Malcolm Butler had the big interception against the Seattle Seahawks, where Brady would not have won that game if Butler didn't jump that pass from Russell Wilson on the goal line there. At the end of the day, typically the best player on the team gets the finals MVP. That's just how things go. Another guy in the team that's their third scoring option is Michael Porter Jr., averaging 14.6 points per game, eight rebounds, seven-tenths of a steal per game, 41% shooting from three, and 45.5% shooting from the floor. He's been great. Even though he struggled so far in his early NBA career with back injuries and has really found his footing now, he's been great for this Nuggets team. He's been great. And especially as the third scoring option, I mean, that just shows how deep of a team they have. Jamal Murray would be the first scoring option on most teams in the NBA. Michael Porter Jr. would be the second scoring option on most teams in the NBA. And they're both the second and third respective options here on Denver because of how good Nikola Jokic is and how good this Denver Nuggets team is overall. Aaron Gordon is their fourth scoring option, 13 points per game, five rebounds, a 49% shooting from the floor and 35% shooting from three. He's had a very good playoffs. I mean, they don't really need too much out of him. If they get 12 to 15 points out of him every game, they'll be good. That's all they really need out of him. 10 to 15 points per game, that's all they really need out of him. Catavis Calder-Pope is their fifth option. I think he's one of the most underrated players in the NBA, if not the most underrated. He's their fifth scoring option. I think he could honestly be the third scoring option on a good amount of teams in the NBA. Probably two-fifths of the teams in the NBA he could be the third scoring option on. Averaging 11.7 points per game, a 41% shooting from three in the playoffs, 3.2 rebounds, and 1.3 steals per game. And all these st uh, stats I'm giving you here about the Denver Nuggets, 
All of these are NBA playoff stats from this season. So what Jokic, Murray, Porter Jr., Gordon, Contavious Carter Pope are all averaging in the playoffs this year. I think KCP, one of the most underrated defenders in the NBA, and a very good shooter as well. 41% shooting from three. I think he's an X-factor for this team. I predicted he was an X-factor or would be an X-factor in that series against the Lakers. He indeed was coming up big in that series against the Lakers, averaging 15 points per game. Off of 44% shooting from three and 49% shooting from the floor in 33.8 minutes of action. Also adding in a steal per game as well. KCP was very underrated for this Nuggets team all season. I think he's going to shine here in the bright lights of the NBA Finals like he did against the Miami Heat in the 2020 NBA Finals bubble. He helped beat the Heat in six games in 2020 as a Lego. So I think he'll come up big in the Finals as well. And the last guy I'm going to mention in the Denver Nuggets rotation that can give you 10 points any given night, Bruce Brown. And I talk about 10 points here like it's a ton, like it's 25 points per game. But if you have six guys that can give you 10 points per game any given night, and on the same night, all six guys give you 10 points, that's hard to beat. It's hard to beat. And Bruce Brown, he's averaging 12.2 points per game as his sixth option of 53% shooting from the floor and one steal per game. I mean, that's just how deep this Denver team is. So my predictions for the Lakers-Nuggets series, I talked a lot about KCP being an X-Factor. I also added in that if the Lakers wanted to beat the Nuggets, LeBron James had to shoot better from three. He didn't. Only shot 26% from three. I also added in that I didn't really believe too much in Austin Reeves. I thought the 15 points per game stats that he had heading into that Nuggets series was good, but I didn't really believe in him being the second best scorer in that team or third best scorer alongside LeBron James and Anthony Davis. But he proved me wrong. 21 points per game in those four games between the Nuggets and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, which I did predict the Lakers going to the Western Conference Finals. I had them losing to the Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. So I did predict them making it there in the Western Conference Finals. And if the Clippers didn't have to go through Denver, who knows? I probably would have Denver winning the West if the Clippers weren't in the Western Conference playoffs. But considering how big of a Clippers fan I am, I believe the Clippers team. They were fully healthy with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. I think they could have gave that Nuggets team fits. I think they could have won that series in seven games. I think they would have beat the Suns with even just Kawhi Leonard. I think they could have beat the Suns in five or six games. If you add in Paul George, I think they win in five. With just Kawhi or just PG, I think they win in six. So I believe in that Clippers team, as most people would know. And obviously, if you've heard this podcast before, you know my big Clips guy. You know I'm always riding with them through the end. As for some other predictions I had heading into that Nuggets-Lakers series, I had the Nuggets winning in six games. Nuggets end up winning in four. I also said D'Angelo Russell has to play better. He has to average 15 points per game if the Lakers want a shot in this series. He only averaged, I believe, six or seven points per game, which was obviously not enough. Which was obviously not enough. And so the Lakers go down in four games. Credit to Mike Malone. Great coach. Uh, for that Denver Nuggets team. And obviously he's been there now for a while and now gets his chance to win an NBA Finals. So here's my predictions for the series. I get Denver winning games one and game two in Denver. Both of those games are in Denver. Denver's the highest seed here. And the first game is tonight in Denver at 8.30 p.m. I got Miami winning game three in Miami. Then I have Denver winning game four in Miami and then game five in Denver. I have Denver winning this series in five games. I think Nikola Jokic will be the finals MVP, even though I think Jamal Murray will be a very close second. 
I think Murray will have multiple 40-point games in the finals. And even if Nikola Jokic averages a triple-double or not, I think he'll still get the finals MVP considering he is the best player on this team. As for some other predictions, I think KCP is going to come up big. I think KCP is going to be around 15 points per game in the NBA Finals. I think he'll be, I think he'll be up there. As for the Miami Heat, I think Jimmy Butt was going to recover. I think he's going to be back to himself. I think he's going to give it his all. I think he's going to be back in the 30-point-per-game average-wise in the series. But I don't, I don't think it'll be enough. I don't think it'll, it'll be enough, considering how deep Denver is. As for game plan and how each team can, can win this series, Denver wins this series just by playing the way they've played all season long and then, and then in the NBA Finals as well. One thing about Denver is that they did struggle on the road. They did struggle on the road in the NBA uh, regular season. And that's one thing that could help maybe Miami in this series. Denver was 34-7 and in the regular season at home, which was the second best record in the NBA at home to the Memphis Grizzlies. But were just 19-22 and away. Denver was 19-22 and on the road in the regular season. As for Miami, they were 17-24 on the road uh, and were 27-14 and at home in the regular season. That's one thing that it can help, that I think could help the Miami Heat in this series, that Denver wasn't really great on the road in the regular season. But in the playoffs, they found a way to win. I mean, they, they swept the Lakers, beating the Lakers in both of those games on the road in games three and four. So I think Miami wants to win this series. They have to have... 30 points per game, probably 32 points per game out of Jimmy Butler. They need Bam Adebayo to step up. I think it's going to be a very tough ask for Bam Adebayo considering he has to go up against Aaron Gordon and has to go up against Nicole Jokic. I think Miami's going to struggle heavily in the paint. You have Aaron Gordon and Nicole Jokic in the paint there. It's going to be tough for them to, to defend. You're going to have to ask a lot from Caleb Martin, Highsmith, from Butler. You're going to have to ask a lot from those guys in the paint considering how big that Denver lineup is and how, how quick they play as well. So I think Miami wants to win the series, which I think is a big, big ask. I don't think they're going to really do it, but I always give a game plan for each team. Miami needs probably 32 points per game from Jimmy Butler. They probably need 18 points per game again from Martin. Probably need around 15 points per game from Bam Adebayo and probably 15 points per game from Tyler Hero if he does return in Game 3 in Miami. They need Tyler Hero to step up big. And even though he hasn't played in a long time and hasn't really gone up against much contact at all, even if he's been shooting in practice, they need him to come off the bench, even though he'll probably be in the starting lineup, but off the bench meeting, he hasn't played at all you know, since the first round. They need him to come up big. As for the Miami Heat game plan on defense, they need to find a way to stop Nicole Jokic and Aaron Gordon from dominating in the paint. And I think Jamal Murray is going to be a big, big question mark as well for them to stop. I think Jamal Murray is going to come up big. How are you going to stop Jamal Murray? Gabe Vincent's going to be on him, probably, I'd imagine. Maybe Max Struess. I don't know how they're going to mix it up, depending on how they want to go with matchups. Could be Jimmy Butler as well. I mean, I'm not really too sure. But it's going to be hard for Miami to stop all those players there in Denver. They're such a deep team, the deepest team in the NBA. I like to say the Clippers are the deepest team in the NBA, but with all those injuries, I would say Denver probably has them beat depth-wise. But if the Clippers are fully healthy, I mean, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Terrence Mann, Russell Westbrook, Norman Powell, Robert Covington, Nick Batum, even though he did struggle in the playoffs, I still have confidence in him. Avita Zubats, Mason Plumlee, Bones Highland. I mean, now that I think of it, I mean, the Clips are still right there with this Nuggets team, depth-wise. But as for who uses their depth the best, the Nuggets, considering how healthy they are and they haven't really gotten hurt. 
The Nuggets use their depth the best, considering those guys are always available. And Paul George and Kawhi Leonard haven't really been healthy as much as I wish they were uh, the last few seasons. But as for the, the Heat, they have to find a way to limit second-chance points in the paint. Because I think, I think that's something they're going to struggle with, is giving up second-chance points to this Denver team. And Denver plays quick. How are you going to stop all those scorers? How are you going to do it? You have to hope Nikola Jokic has some cold games in there and Jamal Murray as well. Jamal Murray's had cold games, and the Nuggets have still found ways to win, even in games that he's been cold. I believe it was game one or game two against the Phoenix Suns. Jamal Murray was awful, and the Nuggets still found ways to win. They still found ways to win in games that Jamal Murray was cold. So we'll see what happens. As a game planning for the Denver Nuggets, what can they do? Denver just has to play the basketball they've been playing. Just keep playing the way you've been playing. Stick to the basketball you know. Limit turnovers. Play quick. Dominate second chance points. Keep hitting your threes. That's what Denver does well. They play great offensively. So I'm not really too sure what Miami could do here to stop that team. I mean, obviously Jimmy Butt was going to give you everything he's got. And that's just how it goes in general. I mean, if you look at this Denver team... They're going to be hard to stop no matter what you do, no matter who you have out there on the floor. It's going to be hard to stop. I know Jimmy Butt was going to give it his all. But considering how good Denver was offensively, they have the fifth best offensive rating in the NBA in the regular season, just a 15th best defensive rating in the NBA in the regular season. So they can be beaten defensively. But offensively, I mean, they're tough to stop. They're tough to stop offensively. Averaging 115 points per game in the regular season, which was 12th best in the NBA. Giving up just 112 points per game, which is eighth best in the NBA. But rating-wise, I mean, they can be beaten. So we'll see what happens in this series. I have Denver winning this series in five games. Denver has to play the basketball they've been playing. Stick to what you know. Continue to dominate shooting-wise and, and let your depth do the work. As to Miami, they need probably 32 points per game, 20 points per game, and 15 points per game, respectively, from Butler Martin Adebayo. And they have to find a way to stop Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. If they want to win this series, they need Nikola Jokic to not average a triple-double, average around 25 points per game. They need Jamal Murray to go cold and only average 20 points per game. I just don't see that happening. So we'll see what happens. As for the last part of this episode, I'm just going to talk about Damian Lillard really quick. The Celtics do need a true point guard to direct the offense. I think that's their biggest need in the offseason, and we'll see what happens. Grant Williams is a free agent. We'll see what deal he gets. I know he wanted around $20 million per year. I don't think the Celtics give him that. I think he walks in my eyes. As for some player options in there, the Celtics have a team option on, I believe it's Mike Muscala, and then a player option for Danilo Gallinari. I think Gallinari will be back. I think Muscala will be gone. And I think, if you look at it, I think Grant Williams will be gone as well. I think the Celtics need a true point guard to direct the offense. We'll see what happens. Maybe Damian Lillard's a potential option there if they were to trade Jalen Brown for him. But as of now, I think Portland's going to hold on to Damian Lillard. I think that they're going to hold on to him and they're trying to trade the third pick in this year's draft to build around Damian Lillard and give him some potential talent around him. And I think Shaden Chop's a good option around him. I think if you add in another player around Damian Lillard with that third pick and you obviously have J- Jeremy Grant there as well, I mean, that's, that's, a good, that's a good piece around Damian Lillard already with Shaden Chop and Jeremy Grant and Jews of Nurkic. That's some good players there around. If you add one more with that third overall pick, I mean, we'll see what happens. 
I know they started this year pretty hot, Portland, and then things went downhill for them after around 20 or 30 games in. But I think Miami, if Damian Lillard were to be traded, I think Miami's a good landing spot. I think it's my favorite one right there. I think Miami's my favorite landing spot for Damian Lillard if he were to be traded. If Miami decides to rip it up and get rid of Lowry and maybe even trade Tyler Hero and build around Adebayo and Butler with Caleb Martin and Max Struess alongside Jimmy Butler, I mean, maybe they added Damian Lillard and have a starting lineup of Damian Lillard, Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, Bam Adebayo, and then maybe, I guess, Max Struess would probably be starting in that lineup. But Gabe Vincent, that'd be a really small line if you go Vincent and Lillard as your starting backcourt there. But we'll see what happens. I think a great lineup would be, though, if you could find a way to keep Tyler Hero, which it's unlikely, but if you could find a way to keep Hero in that lineup and have Damian Lillard, Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Kayla Martin, and Bam Adebayo, that'd be a great lineup. You'd have to trade Max Struess, Kayla Martin. You'd probably want to keep in that lineup, considering I think that'd probably be their best lineup. You'd probably have to trade Kyle Lowry, Max Struess, Duggan Robinson picks. I don't think that's enough to get Damian Lillard. So that's just wishful thinking there. Uh, but I think Miami's a great landing spot there for Damian Lillard. Some other teams I think could be potential options besides Miami and Boston. I think the Lakers could be interested. I think the Los Angeles Clippers could be interested as well. We'll see what happens. Anyways, thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.